Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POTS patients and magnificent people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, your horizontal host, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries. Today, we are speaking with Autumn as her. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. My name is Autumn or Autumn is her. I'm a three-time heart surgery patient. I like to call part-time content creator because my content is based off of whether or not my body is happy for the morning. Yeah. So let's start with some basics. Like how old are you and where are you right now? I am 28 right now and I'm currently in beautiful Los Angeles, California. Cool. And when you say you are a content creator, can you talk more about that? I am a variety content creator. So I am a competitive gamer. I stream, I sing, I put on shows for people. I have a simulator. My current game I'm addicted to is American Truck Simulator and I have a racing wheel and everything. <laughs> but yeah, I create content and I just talk about, you know, my heart and most of my content. <laughs> really, I love it. I put a live heart monitor on all of my live shows so people can see my heart while I'm gaming. It's fun. Wow. What does your heart do while you're gaming? It depends on the situation. If I'm in a competitive tournament, my heart can race really, really high in intense situations like the adrenaline. So I think the top I recorded on stream was 205. Woo. Yes. Well, do you get people like sending in messages like, Autumn, take your medicine. Are you okay? Or like, <laughs> yes. There's been a lot of times, you know, brain fog where I will, you know, get up, I full well, take my water and I'll start gaming and my resting heart rate on stream is 120 and people will send a notification. They're like, Autumn, it's time for you to break and take your medicine. I'm like, oh, thank you so much, guys. And then we do a game to see how long it takes before the medicine kicks in before my resting heart rate goes back to quote-unquote normal. Oh, I bet there's a lot of listeners curious about this. Do you mind telling us, like, what medicine takes how long? Um, so it depends on the day, but I currently take metoprolol and colonor, and it's the maximum dose, which is 7.5 milligrams twice a day. And depending on whether I've eaten or not eaten, it can take between 30 minutes to an hour and a half for my medicine to kick in. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I'm so excited to dig into some of your physical struggles and experiences that you've been through, because uh. obviously you've been through a lot. Three heart surgeries is just yes. unthinkable. But can we back up a little bit before that and start with a couple of basic things like how would your friends or family describe your personality? Mm, my gamer buddies would describe me as a ray of sunshine but that's when I'm not in tournaments but when I am in tournaments they would uh, how would they describe me very focused and determined is what I think that they would describe me as 
And did you have a time in life before your heart started doing weird things or has it always throughout your whole life? When I was a child, I do remember my heart racing when I was younger, but I didn't know that there was anything wrong. I thought it was normal, so I never brought it up to anybody. But I used to, before my heart started doing wonky things, I was a full-time student. I was working three jobs. I actually wanted to become a criminologist. And I was studying to go to school to be a criminologist. And it was a fun, fun time. And then I'm addicted to technology. I'm a certified service and repair technician. So I used to fix like cell phones, iPads and computers and all of that fun. Wow, that's very cool. Okay, well, so then like what happened? What kinds of symptoms were you having? What led to all this? When I was 18 years old, I went to the doctor because I had really, really bad like menstrual cramping and the cramping would be so bad that I would vomit or faint. So I went to the doctor for that. We did blood work and then they found out that I had a very like high platelet. So then they took me to an oncologist because they thought I had cancer. And then the oncologist did my blood work and told me, okay, well then maybe, you know, we'll just keep a good eye on you. But it wasn't until like maybe six months into me working at the electronics store because it was in sales. So very, very stressful. I was wearing my Apple watch that I keep on me at all times and I couldn't breathe. You know, I was having a hard time breathing and my heart rate was at 145 and I thought I was having a panic attack. I went to the hospital and they did the EKG and they gave me water and they sent me home. And the next day I was just shopping and I had got a call from the emergency department. And they told me that I had Wolf Parkinson's white and I needed to go see a cardiologist immediately. And within 30 days, I had a referral to an electrophysiologist. And then by the time I had seen the electrophysiologist, I was one of the first people to be on the list for an ablation because of the tachycardia that I was experiencing from the Wolf Parkinson's white. And then they weren't 100% sure if it was WPW or POTS. So can we define a couple terms? What is Wolf mm -hmm. Parkinson's white? So Wolf Parkinson's white, it's a heart defect where your heart has extra electricity and there is a pathway that they call an accessory pathway that causes the rapid heartbeat, the, the tachycardia, the shortness of breath and things like that. Okay. And then what is an ablation? An ablation is a surgery that electrophysiologists use. They'll go through your growing. They cut you through your main artery. They go through your growing. And depending on the type of treatment you get, you either have a hot ablation, which where they burn the inside of your heart so that particular muscle doesn't conduct electricity. So they basically deaden. They deaden nerves in your heart to keep the city from like bouncing back and forth or they freeze it. But I didn't get the freeze. I got literal heartburn. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to think of what I can say that expresses my emotion, but is not <laughs> going to get edited out by the editors. And holy crap, that sounds terrifying. Yes, I did suffer from medical PTSD. The sound of like beeping, rhythmic like yeah. beeping, it terrifies me. It's not fun. Well, if you don't want to go there, I completely understand. But what is it yeah. like to get an ablation and know they're going to do all that stuff to you? <sighs> well, for me, the first time it wasn't as bad because it was my first time ever having ablation. My electrophysiologist told me that there was 90% chance that this would fix it. 
I wouldn't need any medications or anything like that, which was true for about six months. And then I moved to a different state and the tachycardia and the fainting came back. And so the second time I had my ablation, funny thing is as I was on the table getting my anesthesiology, the surgeon, the electrophysiologist that was going to do my surgery actually left right before he was going to do the surgery. And he tagged in another electrophysiologist because he had another emergency. So that was kind of terrifying because I had never met this doctor. This is the first time that I'm meeting him and I'm laying on the operating table going in and out of consciousness and this new person is going to operate on me. And then, you know, I thought the surgery was nice, you know, laying down on the lovely hospital bed for four hours because you have to lay there for four hours after the ablation so you don't bleed out because they cut through your main artery. And yeah, it was great. They send you home. And unfortunately, I lived up three flights of stairs and I was going up the stairs very, very slowly. As I was going up the stairs, it was about an hour after I had got home, discharged from the hospital. I had went to the restroom and the entire left side of my body went numb. And I didn't know what was going on. And I saw in my discharge pager, you know, if I have numbness, come back. So my caregiver rushed me to the ER. They hooked me up to the EKG blood pressure. And then they noticed that every time I stood up, my, my blood pressure was like 250 over 110. So then they did the EKG and it didn't look correct. So then they had to do an emergency echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart. And the technician, bless her heart, she tried her best not to show any emotion, but there was a blood clot that had formed in the left atrial appendage from either the surgery itself or the blood clot dislodging from my leg into my heart. Oh, no. Well, so, so then what? What do they do for that? I entered the lovely American healthcare system. My electrophysiologist came in. He was actually on call. He came in just for me. He, you know, explained what had happened. He told me that the surgery had went well, but he wasn't 100% sure what was causing the cottage. But I also have Sjogren's and I have other medical issues that's a blood clotting. But I didn't know I had that at the time. But after I just remember after them telling me that I had the blood clot, my mind was no longer with me. And they actually ordered a MRI of my brain and a CAT scan because I was no longer like mentally present because I never thought that I would have blood clot in my heart. And after they did all of those testing, you know, they're coming in every six hours drawing blood, checking the status of the clot. And then they had to admit me into the hospital and I was there for two weeks and my insurance wouldn't cover the blood thinner that I needed because the blood thinner that they would cover would be way too hard on my system. So I had to, for eight and a half months, get samples from my heart doctor. Oh, man. Yeah. So did your mental presence just come back on its own? My caregiver at the time my partner in crime, (laughs) was there for me during that time. And I actually, you know, created a YouTube video to help document what was going on. And it was after maybe about a day after I had got that diagnosis, my mental presence came back, but I realized that who I was was no longer the same because I think it was my 
my brain finally processing and breaking down because I had went from working three jobs. I was in school full time, just really taking the break because I had to medically withdraw from school multiple times. And I just kept going. And in that moment, my brain was like, "Okay, we're done with no more. Wow. And now I know you're not even talking about some of the stuff you went through <laughs> because I know you still had a third heart surgery. Yes. Ah, now that was fun. So after recovery, <laughs> everything was going good. As it was the magic six-month marker, I had started to go to school again. I had started a part-time job, and I'm guessing the stress from that and the elevation of being in Colorado was just too much for me. And that third surgery was, I think, the most terrifying because I had anxiety about whether or not this one was going to work again, if I was going to have a blood clot again. But with that surgery, I was more of an advocate for myself. I made sure that the hospital kept me overnight because I was prone to the clotting. I made sure to have all of my coping skills and I documented what I was going through in that time. And that recovery was a lot better. But it was six months after that, I got into a motor vehicle accident. Oh, no. Someone, someone hit me and, and crashed my car completely. I was on my way home from a breast cancer screening. <laughs> so it was just so much going on. And then that's when my POTS came back and then entered COVID. Uh, yeah. Wait, so then what about COVID? Okay. I totally forgot about something. Going back to my third surgery, it was an attempted ablation because when the electrophysiologist went in to test, because they have to test to make sure that the deadening will work, he said that the extra pathway was too close to my AV node, which is your natural pathway. And he said that when he went to try to ablate it, my heart stopped. So she wasn't comfortable with performing that ablation because there was a 10 to 15 percent chance that I could end up with a pacemaker. And because we did not discuss that type of thing at all, there was no surgery. So my third ablation, nothing had happened. So they put me on colonor and metoprolol to help with the pacing and everything was fine. But then once the motor vehicle accident happened, it also gave me asthma. So the medicines that I was taking for my inhalers that I was taking for my asthma had made the heart medicine not as effective. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, okay, do I have this correct that you had a first ablation that sort of worked for a while? Yes. You had a second ablation that gave you a blood clot. And then mm -hmm. stopped working. And then you had a third attempt at an ablation where they could not actually do it because it was too close to your natural node and might require you to get a pacemaker. Yes, oh. that is correct. How do you keep a smile on your face? To be honest, I find it hilarious because I have so many like disabilities and long list of medical things that I'm like a medical anomaly and I, I love shocking doctors. It's just funny because I think I'm happy because doctors are still so confused about what's going on. And I was like, all right, let's put your medical degree to. Wow, you are a ray of sunshine. That's so awesome. Okay. So you had said that the third surgery was a little bit easier because you brought all your coping skills. Do you have any mm -hmm. coping skills that you can share and 
Yes, absolutely. I brought my headphones listening to music. I had made sure to have my phone full of pictures of my lovely cats. I brought my computer for gaming and streaming. <laughs> and I brought my and I brought my laptop, not my laptop. I brought my iPad with me to record my experience and I posted it on YouTube. And my coping skill was knowing that other people were going through the same things or they were having the same symptoms and I help them get the care that they need. Wow. Right. Good for you. That's amazing. You. What a Thank positive you. way to do all of that. <laughs> well, okay. So what does a day look like for you now? What's an average day? Oh, man. It depends on the temperature outside or the weather, to be honest. Like yesterday, it was really, really cloudy. So I stayed in the bed most of the day because of the inflammation that I had and my heart was racing and I knew that if I did anything, I would faint. <laughs> so I stayed home. I mean, I stay home all the time. But today was better because it actually started to rain. So the pressure was relieved. So I am right now currently in my stream room. I was able to play about three hours of Fortnite because I'm practicing for an upcoming tournament. So I was able to get some practice in today. I was able to take my medicine without brain fog, things like that. I was lucky enough that my body allowed me to <laughs> be here today. So I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> but I try to limit myself to like five spoons a day. And spoons is terminology us lovely disabled people use to express how much energy we have. And I try to do little spoons. I try not to have one big spoon for anything because if I do have one big spoon for something, I don't schedule anything else. And, and I go to the doctors about once a week too. So no day is really typical for Autumn as her. What qualifies as a big spoon for you? Where if you do that thing, that's uh, it for the day? Most definitely if I have a pre-obligation, like if somebody writes me to a group project for streaming, where I have to get ready, get my makeup, get my wigs, get everything ready for the content creation because that takes about an hour and that just drains all of my energy. Having to go to the store for any reason, basically having to leave the house because my current house has stairs in it. I, I don't go out too often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I try to designate those. I try to keep those days, just have nothing planned for that. Like today, I'm going to the store, so... I have this planned and nothing else. <laughs> How does your heart do with stairs now? Oh, no, it's not good. I can walk down the stairs one step at a time extremely slowly if it's not too hot or if it's not too cloudy. If it is, I have to sit down on the stairs and sit on my butt and scoop down. Or walking up the stairs, I try to go up reverse on my butt as well. But there's times where I just won't go up the stairs because I can't make it. When I look at my heart rate, because if my resting heart rate is over 100, I know I'm not going to make it up the stairs. Did you have times where it was hard to stay positive? Like you seem so positive right now, even though things are <sighs> objectively like not close to normal, yeah. right? Did you yeah. have to work to get here? Yes, I'm working. I'm going on year five of everything that's going on. I've been fighting with disability as well. I've been denied three times, went to court and everything, have a disability lawyer, and that's not fun. And I think after my second surgery where I had the blood clot, my mental health was fading a lot because every day I wasn't sure if they would let me go home mm -hmm. because of something that happened. I was 22 or 23. 
So I was a baby and, you know, I had to drop out of college for the third time. I honestly felt that I wouldn't be able to do anything with my life, that my physical body was giving up. And I was like, what is it that I do? And then, you know, when the pandemic happened, I was like, okay, well, now I am at risk because of my heart and my immune system. I was like, okay, well, then I will just stay home forever. I had a really bad agoraphobia. That was during a time when there was a lot of mass shootings. I was just confined and I didn't want to be around anybody because the trigger for my bipolar depression was the blood clot. And I think I spent most of my years in the depressive state because it just seemed like every time I went to the doctor, something was going wrong. Yeah. So... How did you get from that state to now a ray of sunshine? Gaming, content creation. So I had started my content creation because I've always like put stuff on YouTube and stuff when I was younger. I started live streaming like I tried in April of 2019 and then my heart started giving out. So I was only able to stream once and then I tried again in May. Heart gave out and then the heart surgery in June. And then after my car accident, I had lost like a lot of physical mobility because I couldn't go anywhere. And I became isolated. So me streaming and my followers, I love you guys, are my biggest supporters because I started streaming at a time where it was new for me. My life was new. So my online presence is this autumn is her now, not autumn is then. <laughs> and, and I was able to find communities through gaming and esports for people who were like me. And they kept me positive. I was able to find resources of how to deal with these type of stresses. I got a lot of donations from my communities to help me during the hard times. So it's my gaming community. It's my it's my esports community. It's it's most definitely them. That's so cool. And how how yeah. smart to find a way that you could get a community yeah. from your own home. Exactly. I don't have to leave my home. I am a tech nerd. And I was like, okay, well, especially once the pandemic happened, everybody's fine to their houses anyway. I was like, okay, well, you know, and I did a lot, a lot of research before starting it. And I found out that you can make money, but I did not know it was going to take this. I'm going on into my fourth year. <laughs> I'm going on into my fourth year, but I'm going to shout out my, my stream team, Black Girl Gamers. They recognize me for who I am and my work. And so I'm able to be 100% may talk about my disabilities and everything. I was able to find my first paid job, really, since becoming so disabled. And it took two years, but I'm eternally grateful for them. I love them so much. Thank you. Oh, that's Thank, awesome. Yes. So, okay, so you're a content creator. What makes yes. good content? It depends on the person. For me, for, it's all about the experience. It doesn't matter what game I'm playing. It doesn't matter whether I have my camera on or camera off. I want you to have a good time. I have overlays. I have interactions. I have jump scares. Depending on the certain type of content that I do, it depends on the platform that you do. Because if I'm on Instagram, that's like my singing. That's my disabilities. That's me showcasing the reality of everything. And then when I'm streaming or I'm gaming, that's more of the fun. We're here for entertainment. We're here to decompress. We're not worried about the outside world. We're here to be entertained. And live entertainment is crazy because no stream is the same because you have different people that you interact with. It's crazy. 
I love it, though. It sounds like it. What's interesting to me is that you had mentioned that, for example, working in sales was stressful or working a part-time job was stressful. But being a live entertainer to thousands of people is not stressful to you? It is. It is. So I am subject to trolls because I'm a Black woman and I'm disabled. So a lot of people try to pick you down about that. But I think I found the humor in that because of my surgeries and the car accident. I was like, listen, there's nothing you can say to me that will make me do anything because I have lived through much. I've lived through anything. Okay. (laughs) So it's that. It's making people laugh. It's giving people emotions. People love my personality. I guess they're here for its story. And I love to tell stories. I love to hear stories. I speak three different languages so I can hear as many stories as possible. Very cool. What languages do you speak? English, Spanish, and Japanese. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I love your personality. You're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you. Uh, Tell me about what you know now that you wish you had known sooner. I wish the doctors would have told me how common my heart condition was. Because the way that they explained it to me, because it just felt like only specialists knew about it when it should be well known, like POTS and WPW. Because it made me feel isolated. So I wish I knew that there was way more people who were also conquering the same illnesses as me because then I wouldn't have felt so isolated. Mm-hmm. What do you think of our healthcare system? I know you're joking. Okay, so as soon as I turned 18, I realized the healthcare system was a sham. At 10 or 11, I tore my ACL, but I didn't know that. So I was walking on a bum knee for a long time. So at 18 years old, I was still on my father's insurance and I had a knee surgery, but his insurance had me down as the wrong sex type. So I went into medical debt because my insurance didn't want to cover it at 18 years old. And then nobody really believes you when you're young about your pain levels, but you always have to feel like you have to show proof and getting a second opinion is very difficult. The waiting times for getting your health care is really what makes people sick because I've had health care in California, Arizona, and in Colorado. And I realized that our health care system is meant to keep disabled people in poverty because I am on a, a mini four-tier drugs, and that's the highest tier. Basically, there's no generic for that type of drug. While I was working, one of the reasons why I had to leave was because The insurance that I needed to go to, I visit the doctor way more than six times a year. I go to the doctor four times a month. So I had to pick the highest insurance plan that they had, which was $750 a month that I had to pay. Mind you, I was only making $1,200 a month working there. So it would have been $700 a month to get their insurance. They did not cover tier four drugs. And there was a $4,000 deductible every year. So... I had to leave the job because if I didn't, I was going to be working for insurance. And so I was like, okay, well, that wasn't work. So I had to keep myself basically in poverty. I can't make more than $1,200 or I can't get the government insurance, which is the Medicaid that covers all of those drugs. Wow. Um, And I've, I've had it in every single state that I have moved to. The waiting period, because unfortunately, when you move a different state, you have to be a resident of the state before you can even get the coverage. So every time I move, it takes a year for me to get the health care that I need because you have to become a resident. And then it takes an additional 45 to 90 days for you to get approved. 
So it's either I drive to the old doctors I was going to, because that's what happened when I moved to California. It took a year for me to get the insurance and I was driving to Arizona to go to my doctor's appointments to get my medicines because I couldn't afford it anywhere else. And I've currently been in California for, I think, a year and a half. And I'm just now getting all my referrals that I need for specialists because I have to go to my heart specialist first and I can't go to any other specialist until I see my heart doctor first. And the, the waiting and everything is, it's not fun. And the system for disability is unfair. They do not believe young people. I've been fighting for disability since October 2019, I think. I should have applied for disability after my second heart surgery, but I was making way too much money to even be considered, quote unquote, disabled. Because if you make more than $1,200 a month, you are not considered disabled in the eye of the government. Wow. That is so frustrating. I mean, I don't even know how you just don't even like rip out all your hair thinking about it. (laughs) I did have to cut off my hair. I did. (laughs) Because I couldn't keep up with it. I was like, no, we're just going to keep it short because I can't. I'm stressed. I'm stressed out. So I understand, I think, why gaming would have appeal that it it is very, you know, sticky to the brain. That it's almost like, do you think you like gaming because it makes it easy to forget all these frustrating things for a while? To be honest, I think my main thing about gaming is it's an equal playing field, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. gaming now is so much more accessible. There are so many different controllers and stuff that can be used to help you game. And then also when I'm gaming, I'm in control of my own reality. I can do what other able-bodied people can do. When I'm driving on my simulator, when I'm doing my truck driving, I'm able to drive a bus because I can't drive. But I'm Mm -hmm. able to do that in the game because it's so realistic. When I'm doing my virtual reality and I'm skiing and I'm snowboarding, I'm immersed in that and I'm able to have these experiences in this virtual world without my physical. There's no limit. There it is. There's no limitations when it comes to gaming. Anybody can game and it doesn't matter what you do, what you play. You are a gamer. You can make your characters. You can be somebody else. It's amazing. You play with others. You're not by yourself. You're not isolated when you game. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is so true. And I'm thinking we have to get you a a sponsor because I think the best advertisement for gaming that I have ever heard in my whole life. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, that was the other thing, too. The other thing about streaming that I forgot to mention is the amount of charity work that it's out there. While I stream, I have been able to do panels for trans life for Black women in the gaming communities. I've been able to show a lot of representation for multiple marginalized communities. I've been able to raise money for the American Heart Association, you know, St. Jude. I do this because I know the struggle it is to be a disabled person just in general and being able to do that as a gamer is awesome. And anybody who doesn't sponsor gamers, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> because gaming is the future. It is. That is awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah. Could we do a speed round where we ask you to just say the first thing that comes to your mind? Yes, I'm ready. I love it. The game. Right. If you do extra salt for pots, what's your favorite way to get salt? Oh, pretzels. 
What is the drink you find the most hydrating? Pedialyte. What is your favorite time of the day and why? Nighttime. No sun. Where is your happy place? My happy place is in American truck driving simulators. Nice. nice. How many doctors have you seen for POTS or related issues? Today or this year or total? Total. I can say it has been at least over 15. What is one word that describes what it's like living with a chronic illness? Exhausting. What is some good advice anyone ever gave you about anything? Don't overwork yourself and make sure to set boundaries to protect yourself. What is something small or inexpensive that brings you comfort or joy? My heart monitor. Who is somebody you admire? I admire, I admire my Black Girl Gamers team. Do you want to say why? Yes, because being a Black girl in general is difficult. Just being part of a marginalized group is difficult. And we put ourselves out there every day to face the trolls. And we don't let the negativity stop us from being unapologetically ourselves. Oh, that's awesome. What is the toughest thing about POTS? Standing. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but it is. It's so hard to stand. I'm with you. I actually <laughs> brushed my teeth at 3 p.m. today, and I'm like, I'm not eating dinner because I'm not brushing my uh, teeth again. <laughs> oh, man. Standing. For sure. What is something that you're proud of? I am proud of my perseverance and my strength. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything that helps you fall asleep? Yes, listening to rain sounds and my cat when he purrs next to me. Do you have anything that helps give you energy when you need it? I know I'm not supposed to have it, but coffee. But I drink coffee with a protein shake. And it's the dark roast, so it has the least amount of caffeine. <laughs> I know that. That's great. I can tell it was very thoughtfully planned out. <laughs> Yes. What is a gift that you would have sent to every POTS patient on the planet if you had infinite funds? Uh, an Apple Watch or some type of heart monitor, something that they can wear to monitor their heart. Yeah. What is something you're grateful for? I'm grateful for my community. I am. I'm so grateful for them. They keep me going for sure. Can you finish these sentences? I love it when. I love it when it rains. I hate it when. When, it, when it's cloudy and it's not raining. <laughs> People might suspect I'm a potsy when. I check the temperature before going outside. Have you ever had to sit down or lie down in a weird place because of pots? And if so, where was it? I actually had to lay down in the middle of getting my appointment for my cardiologist because I had ran out of my medicine and I fainted trying to make an appointment and I had to lay down in front of the check-in desk. Yeah. But they had salt and Gatorade on hand. Not okay. obviously. <laughs> Not the worst place. Exactly. Um, I just have a couple more questions. What mm -hmm. do you wish more people knew about POTS? I wish they knew that it's not just a heart problem. It is a full body problem. It affects the brain, the everything. 
I had brain fog just <laughs> but it is a full body experience to have POTS. And is there anything you'd like to say to your fellow POTS patients out there who might be listening? Drink lots of water. Always advocate for yourself. And try, if you can, to learn about your ability. And if you need help, go to YouTube, look up Artemis Her, and I have videos to help you because you matter what you're going through matters and just because someone may not see it it doesn't mean that it's not happening because i believe you that's great so yeah tell everybody one more time where they can find you online for your gaming or your other content or whatever on all of my social media literally everything twitch facebook youtube twitter instagram any social it is autumn is her and that's a u t u M-N-I-Z-H-U-R-R. And you can find any content from me from what it's like being a potsy, having chronic illnesses, me going to gaming conventions, my hospital visits, live streams, past streams, and many more. And singing too. (laughs) That's so cool. Autumn is her. Thank you for sharing your story and your beautiful attitude and sense of humor and insights with us. Your strength is awesome. We really appreciate it. And I know that everybody listening is wishing you all the best going forward. Thank you so much. I am so happy that I was able to be here and and tell my story because I'm here to tell my story. And I'm happy for that. I'm, I'm truly grateful. Right on. Hey, listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. We'll be back again next week. But until then, thank you for listening. Remember, you're not alone. And please join us again soon. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can send us feedback or make a tax-deductible donation at www.standinguptopots.org. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thepotscast.com. Thanks for listening.